Recently, For the Glory KC has connected with a new additional resource for exciting photographs capturing the world of Kansas City soccer, 7-1 Magazine. Photographer Kevin Firstall takes a different approach than most, using similar lenses and equipment that created iconic photos featuring some of the biggest moments in soccer history. Timeless depth, color, and emotion. Analog methods capturing modern soccer. Go give Kevin a follow on Instagram at 71mag or at 71mag.com. That's 71mag at S-E-V-E-N-O-N-E-M-A-G. We're back, just like I guess we have to be back. This is For the Glory KC. We bring a mix of in-depth Kansas City soccer knowledge and a more casual perspective. Hey, everybody, I'm Chad Smith, associate editor at kcsoccerjournal.com, who will just go you know, a bit more in-depth. And I'm joined, as always, by my wife, Sheena, who's given us that casual perspective. Hey, Sheena, how's it going? Hey, Chad, I'm okay. How are you? You know, I'm surviving. Um Nine games and no wins. But on today's show, Sporting Kansas City lose again. Tell me you're surprised about this. Uh, Willie Agata is hurt because, you know, good news. And is Dom Dwyer his replacement? Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Matt Potter firing for the Casey Current and then Casey Current versus the Orlando Pride. And of course, the digital crawl, y'all. But Sheena, I believe you had some stuff you wanted to say about Earth Day. Yes. So before we get into the Sporting Kansas City game, I just wanted to vent a moment about the Earth Day jerseys. Not the jerseys themselves. They were fine, although it was very confusing to watch the MLS 360 when every team that especially when they did like the four screens and everyone was in the same colors. It was a little confusing. But my event with Earth Day jerseys is why is the Earth Day jersey just once a year? Like, why can't every jersey be made with recyclable materials? It like really bothers me. And clearly the MLS is just grabbing for another way to make more money. But if they really understood the point of Earth Day, which by the way, is my favorite, like non-holiday, like I love Earth Day, but getting back to it, like if they understood the purpose of Earth Day, they wouldn't even have this jersey because it's a waste of materials and whatnot. So just I wish all the main jerseys could be made with the special recyclable materials or whatever they're using. And it wasn't just one day a year where they use the special jersey. What do you think? Yeah, I see your point. I would say I don't know that I know they use some sort of fancy technology in the jerseys for breathability and performance and things like that in the regular jerseys. And I don't know, does that maybe not exist in the the Earth Day jerseys? I think the message is good. They're trying to bring awareness to this, you know, the problem of waste. And I mean, isn't there like more plastic weight in the oceans than like fish or close to it. Like it's something crazy. Yeah. So uh, our single use plastic problem is insane. I've never personally bought one of these Earth Day jerseys. So their cash grab isn't working on me. I thought these years, this year's like they looked better than the typical years. But at the same time, it's the same one as half the league has yours and half the league has the other one. So it's not that appealing to me. What I'd be interested to know is if you do buy one and someone tell us if you if you did go buy one, does it come in a single use plastic wrapper when it shows up? Because that seems <laughs> to be our big problem, right? Is like all this single use plastic that's on everything. Uh, Sheena and I always complain when we like get a package in the mail, which I get, you know, I guess we're contributing to this by ordering stuff in the mail that something will show up and it'll be inside another box. Oh, and then it's inside a plastic inside of that box. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what what is happening? Like you have to protect it, I guess. But oof, the single use plastic, it's bad. So Earth Day, also, we got to have... rant about something else, right? Because soccer is just draining us. <laughs> Well, I looked up the in uh, the ingredients, the materials of the regular jersey. It's just polyester, so I don't know what breathable polyester there is, but it feels like in this day and age they could replicate that using the special materials they use for these Earth Day jerseys. And it's a bummer the special jersey didn't play in our favor and it didn't help us win. But that's just my rant as somebody who loves Earth Day. I <laughs> I don't understand it. Just consumerism. Don't get me started on it. 
Yeah, well, we consume things too. So, all right, let's talk uh, about yeah. the revolution and sporting Kansas City. Uh, SKC went on the road, battled to a 2-1. Yes, they did score a goal. Lost to the New England Revolution. Uh, we'll start off with the goals from New England. I, I thought like the very early part of the game, it was like neither team looked particularly effective, but Sporting KC had some moments where it felt like they were, oh, they're getting they're getting at least close to the box. They're making a pass that doesn't come off, but they're trying to make that pass. Okay, that's good. And then all of a sudden, there was this weird throw-in where like Espinoza rushed to take this throw-in. He throws the ball to Johnny Russell, who has three players around him. Like, I don't know why... You don't let your fullback come up and take that throw. And then Espinoza can be there to, to cover and help recover the ball if it is lost. Instead, it's lost straight down the field pretty quickly and the Revolution score. And just minutes later, I don't remember how many minutes off the top of my head, but another throw in, this time by Duke, this time to Polito. And I think he's got like four guys around him. Turnover, bing, bang, boom, two nothing. I was beyond annoyed in the first half. I'm sure you all felt this way. To me, it looked like they quit. Like the turnovers happened and people weren't running and there was ball watching on that second one in particular where Cam Duke tries to get there and save the play, but everybody else just is pretty much watching as Veroni gets the rebound and knocks it home to nothing and it's off to a terrible start. First half thoughts, Sheena? Yeah, I felt similar. The first half was really tough to watch. I think it was in the first half that um, Fontes also received his first yellow of the That's match. That's true. Yeah. So as soon as that yellow happened, I was like, uh, he's getting off the field at some point in the game. I even tweeted it. And unfortunately, my words haunted me because that happened in the second half. But yeah, they just look lifeless. They, per the usual, they couldn't connect the ball. They did crosses to nobody, passes to the New England Revolution. It They just looked defeated on the field. And I think when I was tweeting last night, I did like my, at the when the half ended, like my thoughts on the first half. And one of the things I said is like, how do you even motivate a game, like a team who's just so defeated? Apparently something was said because they looked a little bit better in the second half, but that first half was rough. And I think, so Zussi wasn't in the game. And I think that in previous games, we were all wanting Cam Duke to, to be on the field. And we were saying we would take Cam Duke. And it turns out I don't really like Cam Duke playing in Zussi's position. He didn't do well. He struggled. He was always behind the ball. Uh, so I'd rather see Zussi, but that is definitely like a position I felt last night that they need to figure that out because it's not realistic for Zussi to start every game. And Cam Duke is not the solution when Zussi is unavailable. Yeah, someone in our comments said this. I may have been Sean on KCSoccerJournal.com. And he was saying something like, I don't know what Cam Duke's position is, but it's not right back. And I said, yeah, that's, I was 100% on board with that. I was like, yeah, that makes yeah. complete <laughs> sense to me. He. He's supposed to be a midfielder, maybe an attacking player, but yeah, his defensive lapses were not great. As, as you said, it felt like he would always be stepping at the wrong time and he's out of position and he's not covering. And then Rosero is getting really far wide to the right to have to cover for him, which pulls everybody else over. Yeah, it, not a great game from Duke, but I, I feel like, what is the expression? Jack of all trades, master of none. You, you don't get good at anything if you don't get to play one position more consistently. And I've, I've always heard that the Sporting Kansas City Academy, like everybody has at least two spots. Like you have a primary spot that they're focusing on, but they have a secondary spot that they're working on for you. Uh, Duke's been playing left back for SKC too, probably because they thought he, they needed him there. And, and, and Dembe returned tonight, so he didn't have to play over there. But then Zussi shows up on the injury report. Peter said it's more like fatigue than an actual injury. But yeah, it makes sense. He's 36 years old. He can't play every single game. He's in incredible shape and he works really hard, but... You can't run the guy into the ground. And because Caden Pierre is hurt and not back to being game fit yet, you had to put somebody else out there. And uh, I, I sh it showed me that Duke is obviously not that person. You know what was interesting to me, though, is Remy Walter ended up playing a little bit of left back. Remy Voltaire. Sorry, I always mispronounce it. Sorry, Remy. But he, he looked really good at left back. Remy kind of strikes me as he could probably play most of the positions besides striker and maybe center back and goalkeeper but he played pretty good at left back he's he's held his own at defensive midfielder he's much better as an attacking midfielder i remember him playing the wing before so that's kind of interesting i like a remy in any position honestly like he is just such a hustler and i feel bad he's on such a bad team like he's one of the players i feel like he deserves to be on a better team 
But I think my frustration is that if Zussi wasn't hurt and he was just exhausted, that decision for him to need a break had to have like been decided before the game on Saturday. And I just don't understand why they're not pulling SKC2 players. And maybe it has something to do with the rules, but it just feels like at this point, you should be pulling some of the younger guys to come up for some of these positions because we're not winning anyway. So it goes back to a point I think I made last week. You should see what talent you have on the second team and figure out what the identity of this team is going forward. And like it honestly pisses me off for the players on SKC too that they might be thinking like, oh, because I'm on this team, if something happens, I might get to move up to the first team. And it just doesn't feel like Peter Vermees wants to utilize those SKC2 players. You know, I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of that around the league from what I've watched, where you go and get players and then you start them on your first team when you move them up from your second team. But we, we talked about that rule earlier in the year. There is this short-term loan affiliate agreement, something like that, where you can bring a player up from your second team. It's up to four times over the year for a certain number of appearances. You can only play in two of the four times you can be pulled up. I, I forget exactly all the numbers. You have to be 25 or under and making a certain wage. Like You have to be like on a what would be a minimum contract in MLS. We don't know how much these SKC2 guys are getting paid. But two, two points. Lucas Rosa, he's played really good at right back for SKC2. Maybe he, he would be a better option. Maybe he knows what he should be doing. I, I found out from listening to Benny Failhaber do an interview the other day that Rosa was actually not a defender in college. He's a forward, but it hasn't really showed that he's deficient yet. But at the same time, if you're Kim Duke and they pull someone up and he starts over you, that's got to be super demoralizing. But, you know, maybe Duke, maybe, I mean, I think we agree he shouldn't play fullback. So maybe he would understand a little bit, but probably not. I will say Duke is actually younger than Rosa too. Duke's 22 and Rosa's 25. I guess my thing is that Cam Duke has to know that isn't a position he's comfortable at because he wasn't good in it. And I like Cam Duke so much. Like, I want to see him succeed. And I wish, I don't know, it sounds like he can play a couple different positions. So Peter Vermees should be striking out that position because he was not good in it. And I would hope that if they did bring up somebody else, he would understand, like, to me, it feels like the team mentality would be whatever person is best for a position, then you go with that person. And the Cam Duke experiment didn't work. We need Zussi back. But again, he's he's up there in age. It's not realistic. It's not realistic for any of these players, except maybe Remy, because he's a machine, to play every single minute of every single game. Like There should be a quality backup. And maybe when Caden Pierre is back, you know, he's the solution, but who knows when he's going to be back? I, I don't think we know. Yeah, we haven't heard. We do know he's at least doing some form of fitness, but he's been remaining as out on the injury report. So I don't know how much of a participant in practice he is. Maybe we can find that out this week. More Kim Duke talk than I thought we'd have. Let's talk about the second half. So I'll tell you at halftime, for me personally, I was thinking this team has quit. What questions am I going to ask of Peter in the post game about? They look like your team quit on you, you know, things like that. And then somehow they didn't. They came out and they had life in the second half. I, I was I was actually complaining to Sheen. I was like, why is Daniel Shallowy taking free kicks? Like, is there no one else that can take free kicks? That said, we've been complaining about Tommy taking them. So maybe Shallowy over Tommy made sense. Felipe wasn't in the game at that point. And then on the free kick I was complaining about him taking, he assisted Johnny Russell on Russell's first goal of the season. So what do I know? Maybe Daniel's good at free kicks and maybe the New England Revolution fell asleep. I don't know. It felt like if Russell didn't score, there was several players that were very near that ball and they had kind of beaten the New England defenders there. They had life until they didn't. And then Fontas got his second yellow or I'm sorry, video assistant referee came in and said, hey, it's a red card. They reviewed it and changed it from a second yellow to a red. I believe it's because it's dog. So a denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity. He's back. Even though he makes a play on the ball, he misses. It's outside the box. He's the last defender. He's given a red card. I think they got the call right. Some people were saying that Fontes made a touch on the ball. I couldn't tell. Didn't look like it to me. What did you think of their second half performance? And then, of course, the red card. He definitely, at first, when we were watching it live, I thought he had a touch on it. But then as they were showing um, the replays while they were reviewing it, 
he didn't. I mean, it was the right call. And I just don't understand how this is the third time this season a defensive player has gotten a red card, two back-to-back games. Like, I don't understand what is happening with them. You know, when Johnny Russell scored, I think I had said like, Oh, well, Peter Vermees's job is safe another week. I mean, regardless, it's probably safe all season, no matter how bad they are. I just don't see a scenario they fire him at this point. But then the red card issue, like, it's a pretty big deal. This is the third game this season where we've had to play down a man. And it's weird that they kind of come together and they play a little bit better being down a person. What do you do? You agree with that? I weirdly do agree. Like it's so odd. And I was trying to figure out, and I, I asked a question. I don't think I asked it in a very good manner in the post game to Peter about, you know, does it does it seem like your team is actually sometimes weirdly better with only ten people on the field, and and why is that? And he gave an answer that was kind of something else. I was going for more. I, I said something in the question about is it because Tommy and Shallowy aren't on top of each other, right? Because Tommy has to drop deeper in the midfield, and therefore he's not on top of Shallowy. It allows him to dribble into space, which is what seems to be his best move is that dribbling up the field and pulling defenders towards him. And then he can, you know, lay it off to somebody else or make a pass. His passes haven't been great, but they looked so much better (laughs) with only 10 guys. It doesn't make any sense. Now, granted, New England probably should have scored. Tim Melia absolutely stood on his head in this game. We were both saying, hey, we want Pulls Camp back in. I think Melia earned himself another start based on this performance. For sure. I had a point. Yeah, I had a point where I was like, I think he's made like six remarkable saves. He had like a double save. He had that one where Izzy gave the ball away just outside of the six yard box. Like, how do you give it away that close to your goal and not score? And somebody retweeted and said, Tim Melia. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know that that's how that happened. But it is insane to me. That's a bit, a bit of a failure on the attacking player too to not be able to score from that close to the net. It's almost like they were. They were surprised they got the ball in that area because you shouldn't be getting the ball in that area. Overall, though, it is weird how they're playing better. And I'm not sure if it's just their spacing is better or the other team. Maybe the other team is just kind of, you know, letting their foot off the gas a little bit. Hey, we're winning. We're dominating this game. We're not taking them as serious. But Sheena, there's something I noticed. I don't know if I said it to you, but I tweeted it out after the game is that Sporting had what I would say is at least three really good chances in the second half while they were down a man. And all three of them came against our good buddy, Ben Sweat. There was the Johnny Russell curler where he curled it over the bar. He had a really good chance. Like, that's probably the one that should have tied the game. They had the Felipe Hernandez shot that goes off the post and then off the keeper. Or maybe off the keeper, then off the post. And then the very, very, very end of the game, Robert Volater, who was at that point playing left back, was all the way up the field in the box because, you know, you're going for it. And then he's... If he lets the ball come down to him, he's got like a pretty good shot. Like it's a tough shot, but he's open-ish. And instead he he heads it back into the middle to nobody. But Ben Sweat, Ben Sweat, Ben Sweat, he, he failed. But we don't get to play Ben Sweat every week. Well, I'm glad that, you know, before the game, people were predicting if Ben Sweat came on the field, he was going to score against us or tear us apart and make us regret getting rid of him. I mean, I was predicting that, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah, you were one of them. I may have, like, kiddingly said something, but... Yeah, you said, uh, because Rubio scored on us, so of course he's going to score on us, I believe was your something to that effect. Yeah, that's true. I did say that on the last podcast. Trying to to be revisionist over here and act like you weren't also down on this. Not at all, but... It was good to see, like, I have no regrets about him not being on the team. I don't miss him. And it was a smart move by uh, Sporting to get rid of him when they did. And I'm wondering now, like, is Fontes next? Because he got a red and Castellanos is still new. But Fontes is, like, to me, another, like, similar in, I don't know that he is actually similar in age to Ben Sweat, but, you know, he's a more tenured player so it's like I don't know just the fact they've been in the league for so long and they're making such critical mistakes that are putting the team in in bad situations and one of the points can can I can I jump in here on Fontes real quick so you're saying you know maybe maybe he's the next guy out the door I, I don't think so I don't think that that will happen but I put this on Peter a little bit you and I said it in the first half man Fontes is on a yellow with 70 minutes to go he is notoriously slow and then they're pushing for goals. Like they're down by two goals. You know they're going to be trying. Well, they were only down by one goal at the time when he got his red card. But that you know they're going to be pushing players up the field and leaving these advantageous positions for New England to potentially counter into. I said, 
They should sub him off at the half. They should put Volitor in for him at the half. And, you know, Peter didn't do it. You have to manage the game. And Fontes is not a good player to have out there when you're when he's on a yellow card and you're trying to stretch the field and, and you know, push guys forward to get a goal, especially when you're down a man. Like when you stretch the field, you're stretching it even thinner because you have one less player than the other team. So I think I put that a little bit on Peter. You mentioned the the fire Vermees comments. I, we're going to talk about that more on the Thursday edition of the podcast. We're going to do a mailbag for y'all. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get a few questions about that. So I'm going to table my comments on him until later in the week. I feel like what really pissed me off was that there was no subs made at halftime. Like we looked a lifeless. So to me, a way to inject maybe some kind of energy is to switch some players out. And I was really offended that that didn't happen. Like it, it just felt tone deaf. I mean, unless Peter Vermees is watching a completely different game than we are, like there's no way you leave that first half thinking you looked good or that the team had a connection or that things were like swinging your way. Um, so I was like really upset by that. It, I don't know. Yeah, You know, I, I don't disagree with you. I thought there should have been halftime subs too. But Peter sometimes will say that he wants to give the players a chance to redeem themselves, right? Like let them try to respond no. and give them 5, 10, 15 minutes to start the half. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily the right call. But that said, they came out and they did look a lot better to start the half. But again... This all goes back to our bar being so low, right? This team is so bad. Nine games, no wins. Like we, if they do anything even remotely decent, we're like, well, look, they had life. They they didn't look completely miserable for sections no, of the game. I disagree with that. That is your bar. I don't like that. They still looked pretty lifeless. Yeah, they were connecting passes a little bit and Johnny Russell did score, but it's still at the when you look at the game as a cumulative, like they still weren't great. They sucked. I think if you had put the different people in at halftime, maybe Hernandez should have came on. Like that one really blew my mind that Hernandez didn't start. And people were saying, well, he hasn't been really good, but he never, has he yet played a whole game? Like he's constantly getting subbed off or getting subbed in. He hasn't played a full 90 minutes for us to see what he's, his potential is. Yeah, I think that is correct. I'm looking it up right now to see if he has in fact played a full 90. I don't know games where he's played 90 minutes. The yeah. longest he played was 79 minutes against Colorado in that uh, one nothing loss at home. Yeah, and he's feisty and I think he brings a different energy. And, and you always say, well, Roger can read the game really well and Hernandez isn't there yet, but how is he ever going to get there if he's not given the opportunities to play a full game? So I agree. That, and that's people were, event. People were talking about, I think it was in the comments on KC Soccer Journal, was that the team was in such a weird shape at times because Roger would be way up the field or way back the field. And they were saying that maybe it's that they're trying to cover for him, his inability to run up and down the field nonstop. And I'm like, if you can't do it, if you can't do the basic thing of soccer where you need to run, like, I'm sorry, it's it's time to maybe not be playing very much or coming in off the yeah. bench for just short bursts to close out a game, which for me, Roger is a close out of a game. You're a winning guy. So he might not be seeing the field for a bit because sporting aren't winning any games. All right. I feel like we're beating this to death. Any final thoughts on this before we talk about the other big news? around Sporting KC. Yeah, one one last thought, and I know you're going to wait till Thursday, but last night definitely was the game where I was like, Peter shouldn't be in his position. We're now nine winless games. We are the only team in the league now who hasn't won a game because LA Galaxy and Montreal won last night. So we are the worst. And I feel like if this was any other organization, they would have gotten rid of him by now. So I don't know what kind of power he holds over the owners. I'm very baffled by all this, but like it's time. He's been a great coach, you know, as a whole, but it's not working anymore. And I don't understand how many more games we need to lose before a change is made if a change is even made so we can discuss more on thursday's podcast about that all right that sounds like a plan i will say i think that these games give him cover sometimes because there's three red card games so those kind of get asterisks right oh if we'd had our full team maybe we'd have won or hey all these injuries if i had all my healthy players then we could win games so no, we'll talk about it more on no. thursday <laughs> i know you don't okay. have to agree one, but i'm just saying i think it thing. gives no. an asterisk 
One last thing. If it's on him that his defensive players are getting red cards, like that is something, especially after the second game when they had one, like he should have had the defense tightening up or doing whatever. I don't know the technical terms of what he should have been having them do, but it is on him ultimately that his players are getting cards. It's his fault that his team is losing and it's his fault that he has injured players. Maybe not all of them, but he signed people who are injury prone so yeah, it all at the end of the day, he is the the um he's the coach. Why couldn't I think of that? Oh, word? I didn't know I'm what so word you were going for. <laughs> oh, no, coach! I just like couldn't think of the term because I'm getting so mad about this. But it all of this is his fault. He everything comes down to him at the end of the day. And also, I have a question: How come we haven't heard from anybody besides Peter Vermees? Like, why aren't they getting comments from like Jake Reed or some of the owners? Is it not typical? Of them to come out especially when your team is losing you think you would want to hear from somebody else besides the coach to justify why he's still the coach no yes i think that's fair he's the one that's made available to the media every week peter and peter is the manager and the sporting director so he's kind of over all things soccer related he has people reporting to him or that may be his equals in some areas but jake reed is you know he's like the business guy i don't know but business people have to make a decision sometimes too if the team stops getting supported we're going to talk about this more on thursday that we're going to get a lot of questions about this i'm confident because what else is there to talk about when your team is so terrible let's talk about something that's happened since we last recorded a podcast, Willie Agata is hurt. This thing is bumming me out. It found out Willie was maybe just like dealing with some pain. He kind of talking to the trainer, trying to take care of himself is, is how Peter described it. And then they did some tests and found out he has a stress fracture in his tibia and it's going to require surgery. Willie seemed to be pretty blown away by this fact because he was saying, no, no, I, I can play. I Like, why, why do I have to have surgery? Which is kind of crazy. And then Vermees kind of gave this long answer talking about his injury and saying, you know, we don't really know when he got it. He definitely did just have it happen. A stress fracture is like an overuse injury. So is this something that he had before he got to the team? And Peter basically couldn't say if he had been dealing with it and it's just grown to get worse since he's been here because, you know, they practiced too hard or whatever it is that causes all these freaking guys to get hurt all the time. So Willie got us out. We don't know how long yet. Peter said he didn't want to speculate until the doctors kind of report back and the surgery happens. But my guess is we're not going to see him anytime soon. And frankly, it wouldn't stun me if he was out for the season. Initial reactions to the Agata news before we talk about who may be his replacement. Yeah, so my thought is that, you know, I never want to see anyone hurt. I haven't been too high on Agata this season. He's definitely not in the same form as last season, but maybe he has been uh, behind the scenes dealing with this injury and dealing with it and not even realizing that could be the reason that he's having so many struggles this season. So hopefully he is back by the end of the season. But yeah, it doesn't sound too promising. And that's got to be so upsetting if you know, for him, especially because it's not like it sounds like it was more of an annoyance, not like something where he was just in like excruciating pain, or maybe it finally got to that excruciating pain point, And then that is what caused all this to be revealed. I don't know, I feel bad for him. But I mean, at the same time, he wasn't doing well. So hopefully he can get back on the road to recovery and go back to the 2022 version of himself. Yeah, I kind of wonder if what this this stress fracture in the tibia whatever that causes if that was maybe why he wasn't performing as well because I would notice at times he his touch was a little off and he wouldn't be making runs that I thought he would make runs last year and that could just be because nobody's passing him the ball when he makes those runs like how many times are you going to make a run to nowhere uh, for as much hate as shallow he sometimes gets he never really stops making those runs he's always moving and and trying to make these attacking plays and if you think about it, Daniel Shallow, you're shaking your head about Shallow right now, but he has a goal. He has an assist and he has a shot that was saved that led to Agata's goal that Agata put in the rebound on. So it's not a ton of credit because that's only three goals and that's all, but that is all the team has. So I think Shallow is not, not as terrible as some people pick on him for. And he, he does make those plays. He's a, he's a running machine, but let's talk about who may be replacing Willie Agata. This is a bit of a shocker. Dom Dwyer was in Kansas City on trial last week. He was 
spotted at practice by my colleague, Bad Bell and Daniel Sperry from the Kansas City Star. And of course, we're just like, what's happening? Why is Dwyer here? And is this the right move for Sporting Kansas City to make? I have some thoughts about it. But Sheena, you just randomly threw out Dom Dwyer's name last week before we knew this was happening. And we had a whole debate about would you re-sign Dwyer earlier in the offseason? My initial reaction was like, when I heard he was in tri- on trial before I knew Agata was hurt, was uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, hard pass for me. Yeah, what I find really interesting is that I oddly keep predicting Sporting Kansas City's like, livelihood. I last week said they should bring Dom Dwyer back. I think I said it as a joke. I wasn't kidding. I said Fontes was going to get a red card last Wait, night. Wait, you just said you said it as a joke, but you, you weren't kidding? Was it a joke or was it not a joke? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, it was a joke. I said it jokingly but yeah it to me I think I said this in the KC soccer journal comments like to me when they learned about Agata it's like Peter Vermees went through his Rolodex because I do believe he still uses a Rolodex so most people have converted to something digital but he was just like who's available on short notice and Dom Dwyer does fit those requirements he's not currently on a team I've mentioned it before that I know he's constantly working out because he hasn't put or he posts all the time his working out at like 530 in the morning and stuff like that. So I know he's in shape. Do I want him? I mean, if my choice is between Shelton and Dwyer, I think I'd rather see Dwyer. But ultimately, I'd rather see an academy kid or, you know, someone else, some other person that they could maybe sign. So I I don't know. I don't think Dom Dwyer would be the worst option, but I don't know that he's he would just be a single season like situation. You don't sign him beyond going into next season. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you bring up the Shelton thing and we saw it last night is that Shelton was the sub on for Polito when they were down a man because you don't want to run Polito into the ground again playing in a 10 man setup like Gosh, Polito can barely get a chance to even get towards a full game because his team can't stop getting red cards. But if it's Dwyer or Shelton, I I guess, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Dom Dom Dwyer would be better chance to score a goal than Kyrie Shelton. Let me give you a quick rundown of Dwyer's stats here. So he's 32 years old now. He's not a spring chicken anymore. That's actually like kind of old for a striker, all things considered. He played for Atlanta United last year. He had 22 appearances, just five starts, 605 minutes, but he had four goals in 605 minutes. That's actually a pretty decent return on the amount of time he was out there. And you may recall he scored against Sporting Kansas City in the opening game of last season in the 2022 season. Before that, he would... Oh, go ahead. Is Dom Dwyer the same age as Polito? I'm pretty sure they're the same age. He just had... Polito is also 32. Yes, he did just turn 32. Correct. Sporting Kansas City put his birthday wrong on their birthday thing. But yeah, he's 32. So they're the same age. So he's, I mean, if we're going to say Dom Dwyer's old, then so is Polito. So that's yeah. what I'm nope. trying to say. Fair enough. All right. So uh, doing the career retrospective of Dom Dwyer here, he spent one season in 2021 with Toronto FC, 14 appearances, six starts, no goals, just one assist. Uh, he's with the prior three seasons with Orlando City. He started off hot in 2018 with Orlando City. He was their basically their striker, their starting striker. He's, he uh, played 26 games, started 25 of them, 2,244 minutes, 13 goals and no assists. Dropped off a little bit the next year. He was uh, played in 27 games, 16 starts, 1,614 minutes, 7 goals and 4 assists. And then in 2020, he fell off the face of the earth. Two two games, both starts, 124 minutes, no goals, one assist. And this injuries kind of derailed him for a while. So he looked like he was kind of emerging a little bit last year for Atlanta. They did not need him to be the everyday starter, but you see he was getting on at the end of a lot of games, closing them out. So he's not the worst option in the world, but you also bring up, well, let's let's point out a couple of reasons why, why Dom. For one, I just think there's something about Peter likes to go back to guys he knows and and whatnot. They they traded Dom away for like $1.6 million in funny money, general allocation money and targeted allocation money. And it was like, it's widely looked at as like one of the better trades in MLS history in terms of like what sporting got for this player. The team right now has one to two open roster spots. They've been sweats open spot and then they can make a second spot by putting um, Courtney Ford on the season ending injury list. As far as I know, they have not officially done that yet because they don't have to do it until they want to sign 
somebody in his spot. The thing about replacing with somebody else, you said somebody from the academy. That makes some sense to me. I haven't seen a lot of academy players, though, that play for Sporting KC2 that are strikers. I don't know what it is, but this team seems to have a real glut of like small winger, midfielder, fullback type players and not a lot of great strikers or really quality strikers. But there could be some guys down there that I just don't know very well. I know there's some some promising talent, but I don't know if they actually play center forward or if they're ready for this level or, or what that looks like. Uh, not to mention there's Ozzy Cisneros. He's he's probably a midfielder, but he played some false nine. He was kind of learning from Polito. He's already on the first team roster, but they, they never put him in the game. So there's got to be something to that. The idea for me was if you've been watching Sporting KC2 is Pal Vidal. He has been the starting striker. He's a big guy. He, he does maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but he looks big and strong. He scored in three straight games uh, as of the time of this recording. The second half of this podcast, we're going to record, well, half is the second chunk of this podcast. We're going to record a little later today after Sporting have played their, Sporting KC2 have played their game. Vidal, though, is an international. So Sporting have one international roster spot left. The question is, from the small sample size of Vidal, do they want to use it on him? Because the transfer window closes on Monday the 24th. If they want to bring in a player from outside, it either has to happen by Monday, which would be very hard to pull that off, or you have to sign somebody domestically. And Dwyer fits that mold because he's free. He's available. You don't have to pay a transfer fee to any team to go get him. He's not signed to a team, but he could step in and he could play right away because he's out of contract and they don't have to get like an international transfer certificate for him to come over. So I don't love the idea of Dwyer, but I guess, I don't know. It, it could have, it could just be Kyrie. That seems worse. I have a question. So he, I think it was Thursday that he was spotted training with the team and then obviously he didn't play yesterday. Is it typical for them to wait? Are they do you think they're maybe looking at other people before they make an offer to him? Or do you think it like they decided not to go with him since it's been a few days and nothing's been announced? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. It could be a situation where they're still planning to sign him and they're just waiting and he's going to pop up and the announcement will be coming you know, at any point, or it could be that they're going to keep looking and checking their other options before committing to him. They can even sign him after Monday. So Monday is the transfer window, but you can make trades inside of MLS so they could go get another player inside of MLS, or they could acquire players inside the United States soccer system that are not going to need to get like a, a visa and stuff to come into the country that are already in the country. So they could go get somebody from like the USL championship or something like that. I, I won't lie. I haven't been watching a lot of USL this year. I don't exactly know who's lighting the world on fire down there. But then that requires a fee usually to go do that. And sometimes those guys are paid a lot because they are attacking players are valued more than other positions. So you might pay a premium to have a decent quality attacking player in USL or MLS Next Pro, probably more likely USL, and then pay them more money than maybe sporting have in availability. I don't know what their salary situation looks like because we haven't seen any of the numbers for 2023 yet. I mean, hell, for a money standpoint, it seems like Dom Dwyer is going to get signed. If he doesn't have a transfer fee, they can make it happen. Peter's already familiar with him. He has to know the system. I think I said, well, the system hasn't changed much since 2017 when he was last on the team. And then you said, no, it's changed a lot. But I got that based off of everybody else saying it's been the same team for the last 10 years. So I don't know. Yeah, let me, let me knock that down real quick. Not a, not a knock on you, more on the, the people that are proclaiming their hardcore fandom. This team is wildly different than it was when Dwyer was here the first time. So he left in the summer of 2017, and they were in the process of kind of transitioning out of that super high press where they play way up the field and they'll They'll foul you to stop a counter, similar to kind of how like the New York Red Bulls or St. Louis City SC play. And I mean, St. Louis is doing damn well, so maybe there's something to be said for that. But they, they've gotten away from that system, and they're trying to play what I would say is more attractive soccer, but some people would say is maybe boring because at times they just pass the ball around the back and, and don't make an incisive pass to go anywhere. So they play differently. But it doesn't mean that Dwyer couldn't necessarily play in the system. I, I don't know. Or maybe the signing of Dwyer would mean a tactical shift. Like, hey, when Dwyer would come onto the field, if Dwyer signs, 
then we stop playing the way that we were playing with Polito. We don't try to possess it as much and we kick it long. Remember Dwyer Island? He'd be all alone at the top of the, the field yeah. by himself and they'd play it to him and he'd try to take the ball down. He'd draw a lot of fouls. He'd flop a little bit, frankly, uh, sometimes when he could need to feel that contact from behind. So maybe it's a, a tactical switch. I, I don't know, but hasn't been signed. It's, so we'll see. But I, I do think the team is much different than it was the first time he was here. It seems like at this point, you should be trying everything and a tactical change to me sounds like another other step of trying something different. So if they are going to sign him, then they should go back to the 2017 um, styles of how they played because they were successful. So I, I'm not against this. Like I know it's an unpopular opinion and people don't want to see him on the team. It's only going to be for this season and we're already tanking. So at this point, like who cares if he gives us any kind of chance, then why not? And no offense to Kyrie because he's such a good guy, but like he's not playing great either so I think Dom would be a step up and Dom has more to prove at this point seeing as he didn't get signed to a team so I think he is going to give it his all and maybe you know there's nobody on the field I ever feel is giving it their all like they all just seem defeated maybe you could argue last night Tim Milia because he was all over the place and and I think a lot of guys are giving it their all but yeah there's points where if not everybody's doing it together it doesn't work right you can't yeah. have just one or two people standing out above others it's got to work as a unit and there's just been disorganized i guess the knock yeah. to me would be that you know what do you have to lose if you're gonna lose anyways i'd rather they develop somebody and make make someone else into you know that striker of the future uh you know i understand protecting willie because i think you're keeping him around hopefully long term and he's gonna you know Polito's 32 as you pointed out maybe willie is the guy for the next chunk of years or we sell him on in the future as a, a big multi-million dollar outgoing transfer. So I would like to see someone else develop behind him, behind Polito. If, if a God is going to be out for a while, it makes me miss Wilson Harris. Remember Wilson Harris? He was quite the goal scorer, never really got much of a chance in MLS, but he was doing great for SKC too. And then now he's over at Louisville in the USL championship to, to bring it full circle. I have one last idea on Dwyer. I was kind of laughed at for saying this, but I don't think it's the craziest thing. Is that is there a marketing element to bringing Dwyer back? He's no Ronaldo, right? He's not going to sell the jerseys, but casual fans are going to know Dom Dwyer. They'll be like, oh, Dom, yeah, I remember when Dom was here. And there's going to be the people that are hardcore about it, that are more tactical and understand and say, you know, I can't believe we're bringing Dwyer back. Why would Sporting do this? But I think there's an element of like, things are going bad. Hey, look, casual fans, come buy tickets. Come to the game. Your old friend Dom Dwyer is out here. Remember how good he is? He's the second leading scorer in Sporting Kansas City history, by the way, behind Precky. So I, I don't know that there's much to that. But like, I think that, that it wouldn't work on someone like myself, but it could work on someone I think that's like only partially paying attention. Oh, I want to see this guy that I remember and like, while it might not be good long term, could that be a short term thing that that's weighing on some people's minds? I don't know. I, people said PV would never make a move based on that. And I'm like, well, PV wanted to sign Ronaldo. And that was, I would say, mostly marketing based. I mean, he's he's a good soccer player, but he's real old. I would still take Ronaldo this season. But that's an interesting perspective I, I don't think I've heard you talk about yet. And I could totally see that. And I think, you know, if I wasn't doing this podcast, I'd be way more casual by this point with all these losses. And I could totally see the Dom Dwyer thing hitting the hearts of some of the more casual fans. Like, and this is a, like, for me, I think I started watching in 2015, 2016. So he was on the team. And I have a lot of nostalgia for the players on that team, whether they were good or not. But like Jordi Cantillo was one of my favorites. I still like adore him and I just think he he was a he had good moves and so I could see you know that that was a winning team and maybe you think you could ignite some of that interest with those casual fans I could totally see that I mean it goes along the let's try anything this season to to spark something and you're going to piss off the hardcore fans who don't want to see that but if you're still trying to sell seats and you know the hardcore fans aren't going to come because of the way they're playing you might be able to draw in some of those casual fans with Dom, Dom Dwyer but if you're going to get Dom Dwyer let's just get Benny back on the field as well get Matt Diesler yeah, like, I, the gang I, I kiss the coach 
coach with SKC too. Let's re-sign him too. (laughs) We joke, we joke, but. No, but I mean, if that's what you're trying to create, if you're going to create nostalgia, like get some of the other people from that team back on the field. So I could see that. And that time, maybe because I was such a new fan and it was an exciting time for sporting, like I, I can see the nostalgia and I wouldn't hate it either, especially if he came out and was 2017 Dwyer, 2016 Dwyer, like probably not going to happen. But if by some chance he just started scoring goals, I mean, hell, he just needs to get three more goals than what we currently have. And he is worth the investment. So I just think he has a lot to prove that he still belongs in the league. I'm surprised to know USL team tried to sign him or maybe they did and he didn't feel like he he was bigger than that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to talk to, uh, to answer and figure that out. And maybe we'll have a chance if he ends up on the team, we'll be able to chat him up in the locker room after a game. So I'm going to take a break and we'll come back. We're going to talk about the Kansas City Current. And we are back. All right, let's talk about the Kansas City Current. So when we last spoke with you, Matt Potter had just been fired from his head coaching position. We've gotten a little bit more information since that happened. Camille Ashton, the general manager of The Current, she spoke with the media on Friday and gave this kind of long opening statement trying to kind of explain it. And the gist of it was basically that one, it was the 0-3 start, the, the losing, and then the communication was not good enough from Potter. The quote is, It simply had to do with Potter's relationships and management and staff deteriorating during the slow start. And then the second quote is, this one's actually from Ashton. I'm sorry, that first one was from the KC Star, I should be clear. This one's from Ashton. She says, the culture that we stand for and that we continuously strive to uphold is deeply grounded in collaboration, strong communication, leadership, and trust. Given that these were not enforced at a critical time in the season, we felt it was appropriate to take the decisive action, end quote. That's interesting because I feel like when you're on a 0-3 losing streak, of course, it's going to be hard to keep the morale up. So that little tidbit about like the the team locker room environment or whatever is interesting. And I feel like that press conference, like I still, I think we talked about it on the last podcast. It just seems a real suspicious that they did it in Houston. Why not wait? Why even let him go to Houston? It just feels like there's more to the story that they're not telling. Yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you here. I think either you fire him right after the loss with Chicago and you don't let him run practice and you don't let him fly to Houston. Yeah. Or or my thought was that maybe they're afraid to wait for him to come back from Houston thinking that they may win that game and then it's harder to fire him off a win. I mean, they could make the excuse that they beat up a Houston team that had made eight substitutions. You know, they weren't playing their starters, quote unquote. So yeah, it, it all feels bad. Uh, I'll continue a little bit. The There's another quote in from the star. This is Daniel Sperry at the KC star saying that, quote, Ashton said she was more focused on supporting the current players and staff in person in Houston rather than immediately speaking on the news, basically talking about why it took 48 hours to respond and talk to the media after They'd made the decision to fire him. And then they put the players and the new interim coach, Caroline Herbloom, I screwed that up, but I learned the pronunciation tonight, in front of the media before Camille got in front of the media, which felt weird to me. What did you think about that? It's definitely weird. And you're not putting your players first if you're making them answer questions they don't know the reasons behind it it all feels suspicious i know i already said that but that's just how it it comes across and maybe it's there's nothing like deeper than what they've said but the fact they waited 48 hours to have her come out and talk to the media and everything is just it could be totally harmless and the reasons they gave may be all that it is, but it just the perception is that it's something deeper. What this screams to me is that there's no patience because last year they allowed Potter to take the team from literally dead last when he took over. They were last and then they started bad and they were last with a rough start, but they took them all the way to the championship game. So I don't know what kind of communication breakdowns are happening or what he is or isn't doing or if they just didn't like his style. Because we, I, I think I complained about it on the other podcast. Like he was a tough guy to get an answer out of. He would he speak in like platitudes and expressions and not really give us anything, which is good. From we can't 
cover the team negatively other than his rough answers. But at the same time, it's it's very annoying and frustrating, like the whole Sam Mewis situation. We still don't really know what's going on with her because of all the kind of vague answers we've gotten over the last two seasons about her injuries. So if I'm Caroline Herbloom, sorry, Caroline, I'm butchering your name, I'd be a little nervous. Am I going to be out the door next if there's a couple bad games? Uh, is it if you're the next coach, if Caroline just stays as the interim coach for the rest of the season and another coach comes in in the offseason, is this a job that you're going to want? Like they're saying all the right things in the grand scheme of building the first stadium for women ever, building this great training center, going out and buying and getting good players. And But there's some stuff that's been mishandled and I'm just tacking this on the list of stuff that I don't think was handled as good as it could have been. We were told before the press conference after the game today against Orlando not to ask the players about anything related to the coach. And I thought what? that was interesting. Yeah. And, That's and, weird. That's yeah. A, it's like, like you're not dictating. really, you can't tell, yeah, you can't tell the media well, what to and not to do, but it made me yeah. want to ask when you tell me not to do it. Cause I was just going to yeah. see like, how are they feeling? You know, this week is now over. You won two games after it, like kind of reflect on the week for us, you know, something like that. And then I was just like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to cause problems, but at the same time, you shouldn't tell the media what they can and can't ask, you know, yeah. free press and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're taking away their First Amendment of freedom of speech. It does feel like going back to the 48 hour time frame, it just makes the Casey Current seem disorganized. And I don't know who like their press people are or media or I don't even know who would cut like who's responsible for this. But it just was mishandled and it, it makes the team look not as organized. Like in a general overview, they seem organized. They are doing a lot of positive. But then, like you said, this adds to that that growing list of just kind of weird one-off things that they're little things, but all the little things also matter. And it's going to be really unfortunate if they don't keep a coach beyond like a half a season or a season. I don't know how players will ever develop or even the coach be able to develop if you're constantly switching coaches. So I think it could be a bigger issue depending on how the rest of the season goes and depending on what they do with Caroline or if they, they bring in a different coach, it'll be, I'm just curious to see how, how it all pans out. Yeah, I think all that is incredibly fair. I think part of this probably is just that the NWSL is still a relatively new league, right? There's been 10 seasons. I think we're in our 11th season right now. The staffs are much smaller than at these other soccer clubs, even like Sporting Kansas City, a massive amount of people that are full-time employees at that organization versus if you go back, 10, 15, 20 years, very small, a lot of people doing a lot of different jobs. And there's still an element of that because MLS is still nothing like the Premier League or Syria or Ligun or whatever you're NFL. talking about around the world. Yeah. Or yeah, our big American sports leagues. So maybe it's a little bit of that. I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see how they handle it going forward. If y'all are interested in more on this subject, my colleague Thad Bell and Daniel Spray from the Kansas City Star, they did a podcast keeping current and they talked about it kind of immediately after. All right, let's talk about the win. Oh, Kansas City Current. If you wondered why in the intro I didn't talk about the win, it's because we recorded half this podcast before the game happened and now we're recording this chunk after the game happened. So the KC Current hosted the Orlando Pride. They were both totally defeated. Three losses, through three games in the NWSL regular season and the current got it done. They won 2 nothing. Both goals were assisted by left back Haley Mace. Actually, she had shifted forward by the time the second goal had happened. The goals were scored by Dabinia and Cece Kaiser. Sad news about Kaiser, by the way. Uh, this is, not, I mean, sad is not the right word, Joyce, but her two goals against Houston, one did get taken away and turned into an olden goal. So the team has still never had a player score twice in the same game. But Mace is now the first player to assist twice in the same game in an NWSL regular season game. So congratulations to Haley Mace. Anyways, great game. Sheena, what did you think about the game? The game was good. The, it looked like it was pretty crowded. I think you said there was over 9,000 people at the game, which honestly surprised me given how they've been playing so far this season. This yeah. was only the second chance to see the Kansas City Current in person this year. So it does not surprise me that the excitement was still there. It was almost 10,000 people, 9,808, I think. So good for them. They're building. They're only going to get better. I still think this is a team that can contend for the title. And I think they showed that even through some shaky moments against Orlando, they were mostly in complete control. Yeah, I thought that Michelle Cooper, I think it was her best game of the season so far. She had a couple close goals and maybe they weren't close, but they were in the vicinity. Actually, they went right to the keeper, but... 
I thought she played really well. Obviously, Dabinia played well. And I feel like some of the players are starting to find their rhythm. And that's exciting to see. Like, I forgot how fun soccer can be because they've started off rough. Obviously, sporting is doing horrendous. So it was a nice to see some fun soccer. I'm still not sure, though, because Orlando is not having a great season either. I think we were saying these are the they were the two bottom teams. So hopefully they play like a higher caliber team soon so we can see if they really are starting to find their groove and starting to get good. Or was this just because the pride wasn't a good team? Yeah, you want them to play a good team while they are playing Gotham FC next week. The Gotham are three, one and zero, three wins, one loss, zero draws. So that's a tough team. Lynn Williams traded to Gotham, by the way, and she's been scoring goals left and right. Plus, they have Midge Purse. They have a lot of pretty good players. So Gotham fourth overall in the standings right now. The current uh, still in 11th with the win because, you know, they had no points coming into the game. So they're now in a three-way tie, though, with a four-way tie, I'm sorry, with Racing Louisville, Chicago Red Stars, and the North Carolina Courage. So they can climb their way out. But if you look at that, they lost to the Red Stars. They lost to the Courage. Those are those, those two teams' only wins. So... They're going to have some tough games where they're going to have to pick up results because they've lost to, quote, the bad teams up until beating Orlando. Uh, one thing I will say about the game, because I don't want it to sound like it's all, you know, unicorns and rainbows over here on For the Glory KC. I try to keep it real. I think there's still some real concerns. They're missing a lot of players. So hopefully as they get those players back, they only get better and better. But they have two rookies playing at center back and the third center back in this game, uh, Addison Merrick. She played well. She had some very sketchy tackles. She went to the ground twice in the penalty box making a tackle and she made them to to give her credit. But I always hate when defenders go to ground. You're just asking to concede a penalty by slightly making a mistake and you you just miss a little bit or the the attacking player sees you're about to go to the ground and they touch the ball away and then you clean them out kind of like Fontas cleaned out uh, Veroni of the New England Revolution. So that was a little suspect. I think the other two rookies, uh, Croy and Robinson played pretty good. Like I, I don't really have a lot of complaints. There were a little bit too many giveaways from center backs, and all three of them were guilty of that at times throughout the game. I think Del Faba had kind of a, a rough giveaway. Mace had her best game of the season for me, so that that's a good sign. Izzy Rodriguez subbed on and let Mace push forward to play forward. Izzy looked good in her limited minutes. Overall, the team looked a lot, lot better. Very promising. Again, I think they were mostly in control of the game. The fact that they didn't score in the first half kind of blew me away. There was twice in the box where there was these crazy yeah. sequences where... The ball's just bouncing all over the place. One time I was pretty positive CC Kaiser got like football tackled from behind, like a lady fell into her legs. I apologize. I don't know the name of the lady on the pride, but didn't get called. Looked like the ref was touching her ear for review, but I don't know. I, the VAR in NWSL has been not great so far, so we'll see. They did better about not taking a minute after every single goal, though. So that was progress, I guess. I don't know. They're, they're figuring it out. They're in their infancy of using VAR, so hopefully it only gets better and they don't screw up anything that costs anybody towards you know the playoffs and championships and whatnot. I would agree with that. It did seem better, especially with reviewing the goals after the fact. The one thing you probably didn't see if you were at the game is at halftime they tried to interview Michelle Cooper And they were having some audio issues, like she couldn't hear them, then she could hear them. And it didn't seem like the announcers could hear her. So it was kind of awkward to watch. So they they still have some issues with audio there. But yeah. Any other thoughts about the current beating Orlando? Hopefully they can win against uh, the Gotham next week. But the Gotham, huh? All right. (laughs) Sounds like it'll be a tough game. But I I like what I saw, even if it was against a bad team. And it just feels good to know that we have a professional soccer team winning besides SKC2. All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about Sporting Kansas City. They're facing Tulsa Athletic in the U.S. Open Cup third round this Tuesday. Children's Mercy Park. It's a home game because the Tulsa Athletic are a semi-pro team that basically play on like a wreck-looking field. So a little bit of information about Tulsa. They play in the National Premier Soccer League. It's the fourth division of U.S. soccer. MLS is the first division, to give you an idea. USL Championships, the second There's a couple different third division leagues, USL League One and MLS Next Pro. 
So this this team is below all those down in the fourth tier. They have won two games already in this tournament. They beat Brazos Valley Calvary FC in the first round, and then FC Tulsa, who's in the second division in the USL Championship in the second round. Now, Tulsa are not playing great this year. They're 1-3-3, three, and three, FC Tulsa, I should say. So winning against them is maybe not as good, but Sporting aren't playing great. I don't know if you all have heard. They don't have any wins through nine games, so uh, it, the upset might be on the table there. The thing about Tulsa, though, is that they are, again, in the fourth division, and they're not in season right now. They have those two U.S. Open Cup games, and then you got to go all the way back to July 30th for the next time they played a game. The MPSL does not play as many games, nearly as many games as MLS, USL, etc., etc. So, Sheena, my question for you as we preview this game is, if Sporting lose this, does somebody get fired? Yes, somebody needs to get fired. First of all, they're going to lose it because I have a feeling. Wow, so negative. Okay. (laughs) Okay, well, give me reason to feel positive about this. They haven't won any games. And yeah, maybe this team is a fourth division team and they haven't played very many games, but we look like we're a fourth division team right now. So I I also don't anticipate that they will use a lot of the starters. So if you're not using the starters either, that feels less likely, or maybe they will just to hopefully have a beat down. So People can feel good about the team, even though it's against a fourth division level. I I don't have any faith in them right now, so it wouldn't surprise me if they lost. And if they do lose, it would blow my mind, which my mind will probably be blown. That wait, you just said it wouldn't surprise you, but it would blow your mind, (laughs) Sheena. (laughs) Okay, it wouldn't surprise me if nobody got fired. So. I won't be surprised. I don't know. Ah, okay, so, okay. I, my mind would be blown if if somebody was fired, I think is what I was trying to say. I see. Okay. I, I yeah. think that, yeah, if you lose this game, somebody's got to lose their job. I don't think it'll be Vermees. We'll take your mailbag questions for the Thursday episode. Get those to us at For the Glory KC Wait, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. If it's not Vermees, who would be getting fired if it wasn't him. I feel like it could be like somebody could be the scapegoat, maybe an assistant coach or multiple assistant coaches or the training staff that are not initially diagnosing injuries soon enough or Brian Bliss, the technical director. And hesitation, I couldn't remember his name. Uh, Brian Bliss, the technical director, might get fired. So I just think for me is as much as he probably shouldn't be, is probably safe because he signed a five-year contract extension. But but I won't take it off the table that if they lose this game, that he could be fired. Now, I'll give you a little context here. Last year, they're playing like hot garbage, and then the U.S. Open Cup came along, and they played Union Omaha. I don't know if you remember. They're actually still mm-hmm. in it, too. They're playing St. Louis. And they beat them 6-0. And this was shortly after Eric Tommy and Willie Agata had arrived, and they had been pretty awful up to that point. Like, sporting were kind of terrible and it actually jumpstart their season and they got going after that they did end up faltering and losing to sacramento which was a lower division team in the semifinals of the u.s open cup but they they got union omaha and they got they got firing after that game so maybe this will be the thing that gets their confidence up it does seem like they're lacking confidence they they can execute their game plan but i do agree with you that it is a good possibility we see people that probably shouldn't be playing in this game playing just because they want to get their confidence up. They want to get them to score goals. And I think they should win. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's not by very many goals. Like if they won by one or two, I think honestly, that's a little disappointing considering how much lower this competition is. They're not in season. They're semi-professionals. They have amateurs playing on their team. Like we have guys making millions of dollars. They better be able to crush a team like the Tulsa Athletic. But you never know. Any given Tuesday night. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, right? (laughs) I have a question. Do you think the reason Peter Vermees would never get fired is there's probably something in his contract saying they would owe him money regardless? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how MLS coaching contracts work, but... I would assume there's some sort of guarantees in there and it might be fully guaranteed for all we know. I'm not sure. So would they have to pay him out for all the years? I think it's possible. 
I think if you got a five-year deal, it's probably a five-year guaranteed deal. That'd be my guess. That's crazy. It just still blows my mind he got an extension considering. I could have understood maybe a one-year extension, but five just is crazy. Yeah, Peter played the game well. He's his own agent, by the way. He doesn't have an agent. I think we talked of about that before. Of course he is. Yeah, I do remember. He does it all. Honestly, why isn't he the fitness coach as well or whatever? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he should be the <laughs> fitness coach too. Yes, because he doesn't have have enough responsibility (laughs) yeah yeah being the overseer (laughs) yeah all things in the organization yeah absolutely so not much to say about tulsa they they snuck by and won these games my guess is they're going to play very compact very defensive and that if sporting break them down and get a goal relatively early the game could open up and it could get out of hand but that's a pretty big if sporting can't score goals so (laughs) enough talk let's get to the digital crawl y'all Big news out of world soccer. The USA and Mexico have done a joint bid to host the 2027 Women's World Cup. So we don't know yet. They're going to decide this in May of 2024 who gets to host that one. But it would be kind of wild if back-to-back World Cups, the men and the women, were both held in the U.S. and in Mexico in that case. Not sure why they left Canada out of this one, but that is the bid. We'll have more time to talk about that as we get closer, but it's very intriguing. Uh, In other soccer news, former FC Kansas City and Kansas City current forward Amy Rodriguez, she was named the first ever coach of the Utah Royals, who's going to be, they're going to be an expansion team in 2024, even though they did exist as the former KC current earlier in their life. So that would be kind of exciting for Amy, recently retired as a player, and now she's already stepping into a head coaching role. So that's pretty big for her. Always a big A-Rod fan, personally. And then the U.S. men's national team, they played Mexico in this made-up competition called the Continental Classico, and they drew one-to-one. Mexico actually has not beat the United States since 2019. And then loosely soccer-related, the Oakland A's Major League Baseball team, they may be moving to Las Vegas in 2027. They have a binding agreement to buy a bunch of acres of land. I apologize. I don't have the number near where the Raiders play in Allegiant Stadium. So it's just off the strip, just off the interstate there. And they would be planning to build a new stadium there. And then as a byproduct of that, the, the soccer part of this that's related is the Oakland Roots, a USL championship team. They may move into a site in the parking lot of the old Oakland Coliseum where the Raiders and the A's used to play. Well, the A's still play there. That's the problem. That stadium's old and terrible and like leaking sewage in the basement and all kinds of weird problems. So yeah. Yeah, I saw your face as soon as I said that. <laughs> so the, the Oakland Roots, they actually own several teams. They have the Roots. They have a USLW League team. This is the women's league in the USL, Oakland Soul, and then a USL2 team, Project 510. The USL2, to bring this full circle, is in the same tier as the Tulsa Athletic, the fourth division. So it's a different fourth division, but it's still the US soccer is complicated. It's a mess. If you have made it this far and you are not already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your Kansas City friends, come talk soccer with us. Hey, we have a winning team now. The KC Kerner have won two in a row. Just search for the Glory KC wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on social media at For the Glory KC at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, for the Glory KC at gmail.com. You can send us an email. We might answer your questions on the show on Thursday. Follow me on Twitter at Play for 90. And here's Christian Leah with Write It Like You Mean It. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>